Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. God just really moved on Ray and really just performed a miracle to get him out of the hospital. Amen. He was in a bad, bad, bad shape, uh, but God came through for him, and we're thankful, amen, for that, him and Emery, amen, tonight. Verse 37, the Bible says, but though he had done so many miracles, it's speaking of Jesus, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah, which is Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled which he spake lord who hath believed our report and to whom hath the arm of the lord been revealed therefore they could not believe because the Isaiah said again he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and i should heal them these things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. We'll get into other verses of scripture before we're through tonight. But I want to talk to you tonight about this. Judged by belief. Judged by belief. Amen. And we'll understand that better by and by. Let's, I know we've prayed already tonight, but we're going to pray that the Lord would touch our minds. Amen. For the teaching of his word. Father, I come to you this evening. I thank you, Lord Jesus, God, for the privilege and the honor, Lord, to be here. I pray, oh God, that you're able to minister, Lord, to each and every soul and heart. God, these are truths of your word that's unchangeable and alterable. I pray, oh Lord, tonight, God, let them find a place, Lord, in our own lives and will not fail to thank you and praise you, Lord, for what you accomplished in this place in jesus name that i pray amen everyone say amen. amen you may be seated tonight judge by belief the uh disciple john or the apostle john here writing in the gospel of john he refers here to a few different writings of the prophet isaiah from the old testament it said Isaiah in, in the writing here, but how it all transfers over, that's Isaiah of the Old Testament. Isaiah had prophesied in details uh, in the Old Testament of Isaiah 53. He prophesied what many would call about the suffering servant. That suffering servant we know to be the Lord Jesus Christ. But as he was prophesying about the suffering servant, he was also uh, speaking about the Messiah that was to come, the Messiah that the people would come to know. This contradicted, of course, as we even said in the past few weeks, this contradicted everything that they, they thought the Messiah would be. Isaiah's description uh, didn't resonate with the people of his day, nor did it resonate with the people of the New Testament day because the people had a different image of what their king would be or their Messiah would be. Isaiah spoke of this suffering servant, this Messiah, this Messiah to be one that had no form or no comeliness. He spoke of him as one that was uh, a man of sorrows, a man that was acquainted with grief, one that was wounded and bruised, 
that did not fit the picture of what these people were looking for in a Messiah. Amen. But that's who was going to come. As we said last week, I mean, a man riding on a donkey, right? Uh, by all means. So in Isaiah 35, though, that we've looked at several times in my time of being here is that Isaiah told them the nation of Israel, that they would know that their God would come and will come to save them whenever these particular things happen. That when your God shows up to save you, and we've looked at this several times, that there'll be some things that will happen. When he arrives, the blind eyes will be open, the lame will leap, uh, the deaf ears, if, you've, if, if I, you know I've said this, right? And you should just put it in your memory bank. Uh, the, the, the deaf, their the ears are going to be unstopped, the dumb's going to sing. That's how you're going to know that your God has arrived to save you. And yet the scripture tells us in our first verse of our, of our scripture setting here tonight, that although these multitude of miracles were done by Jesus, which there there were several. John accounts about seven. Although all these miracles were done by Jesus, the people did not believe on him. Uh, they had the very fingerprint, the very indication that this was their God to save them, and yet they did not believe upon him. Jesus had, if you will, the signature of their God upon his life. And Isaiah said that uh, he would come and he would save them, but the people did not believe. Even the key verse of the Gospel of John that tells us that these are written, and when it says that in John 20 and verse 31, these are written, speaking about all the signs that John had written in his book, that these things are written, these signs and miracles were recorded for this purpose, that you would believe in him, and believe in him you would have life through his name. All these signs and miracles were shared with the people so that, they would believe that Jesus was the Christ or that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one. And yet again, the footnote is, yet they believed not. And so the answers to Isaiah's questions that John repeats here in his book are evident. Whenever Isaiah wrote, who believed our report? Well, there were few really that believed the report. And he asked the question, well, to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Which the arm of the Lord is just another way of saying, to whom has the power of God been revealed? To whom has the signs and miracles, if you want, of God been revealed? We got the answer to that too, many. So God's power had been revealed to many, but there were few that would believe the report. This was not just something for Old Testament. This is something that we see taking place in the New Testament as well. And so we live in a day, I believe, people are still yet vying for miracles, still yet vying for signs. Uh, they're certainly astounded today when a miracle does happen. Even some divisions of religion are astounded because there's some divisions of religion that believe the day of miracles are over. And so whenever this takes place, they are astounded by what happens and took place. And yet the Bible says they believe that the days of miracles, as it says in Corinthians, have passed. And so what miracles do, and we did this in our act study. I know you've slept since then. But God oftentimes used miracles to draw a crowd. That was in many ways the purpose of the miracle, to draw a crowd. And so miracles had the tendency to do that. You hear about just something great. They had a tumor that was size of a softball and it's no longer there. And they're like, oh, wow, right? Huh? Or, or they had a bone that was broken. They come another x-ray and it's as though it was never broken, right? And then people like to rally around that. It's like, wow. And so they draw a crowd. But where a miracle can draw a crowd, it may be weak in being able to make a convert. 
or else everybody would have believed in the gospel of John. Hmm? Everybody's life would be transformed. And so with that being said, we need more than a miracle. I love them. Love to tell the stories of them. Love them where they happen in people's life. But we need more than a miracle. Often in the book of Acts, again, the miracle brought the crowd. But then after the crowd got there, a man of God, a disciple, or someone would stand up and they would proclaim the word of God to the crowd that gathered as a result of the miracle. They would preach the word of the Lord. Because where the miracle would get the crowd, the word would get the convert. Amen. Because in reality, we cannot go any further than beyond the word. I know we come together sometimes and sit and listen to pastor, teacher, preach and bless him, Jesus. But it doesn't happen. It will not take place. A church will rise no higher than its word. Mm-hmm. Amen. Rise no higher than its word. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, for after, this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, to, not foolish preaching, but by the foolishness of preaching to save them that, but we got enough foolish preaching going on. Amen. By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 22, for the Jews required a sign. That's what's happening here in John. They require a sign, so they say. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. The message of Paul to the church of Corinth was basically this. It was clear. He said the Jews are constantly needing a sign to somehow uh, or a miracle to substantiate their belief in God or their belief in his word. And the Greeks are always needing some type of wisdom, some type of intellectual, if you will, claim in order to uh, subscribe to, in order to substantiate their belief or reason out their belief in God. However, Paul tells us, he said, the world by wisdom knew not God. And if I might also interject, also the world by many miracles and other signs knew not God. But by the foolishness of preaching, God saved them that believed. Listen, somewhere along the way, it's going to take the word of the Lord to do the work of begetting, begetting somebody to become a, a, from an old creature to a new creature in Christ Jesus. You say, well, Brother McGee, I've heard of people being touched by song. Me too. Do you realize what a lot of lyrics and songs are? The word. Hallelujah. Ironically, in Jesus Christ, Whenever, for instance, in the Gospel of John, ironically, the world both got miracles, signs, wonders, and the Word. Because he was the Word that was made flesh. Not only that, he did a lot of teaching and preaching to them. He shared with them his own Word. He was giving them both. What for? For the purpose that they may be converted. For the purpose that they may confess, repent, have faith, believe. Right? Be altered and changed in their life. The Apostle Paul told the church at Rome, this is just not something we find in Corinthians. It is a theme throughout New Testament Scripture. The Apostle Paul told the church at Rome that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He told the church at Corinth, he said, we are begotten through the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It involves the word. That's the reason why in whatever and everything we do, we need to sow the word. We sing about the word. We preach about the word. We teach about the word. Amen. Even things that we do that seems to have no contact, we need to weave the word in there. 
Because if anybody's ever going to be begotten, if anybody's ever going to be saved, it's going to take the word. Let me say it like this. No one is saved aside from the word. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and verse number 2, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So the gospel was preached. There's two groups of people, us and them. The gospel was preached to us and them, but it didn't profit them, it said, because it wasn't mixed with faith. How does the book of Romans, many of you know this verse, but how does the book of Romans say that faith comes? Faith comes by and hearing by the. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, I'll read it, Romans 10, verse 16 and 17. But they have not obeyed, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, here is this phrase again that we even have in John, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Previously to these two verses, if you read in Romans, it's where uh, the apostle Paul goes through that little uh, dialogue, if you will, or that little uh, it's almost to me, it's almost like a, uh, a lawyer standing up and, and giving his persuasive speech because it speaks to us about how no one can call upon the name of the Lord uh, that when they don't believe in him. How can they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How can they believe without a preacher? How can he preach unless he be sent? Right? And so it puts all this in line that they can't even believe Unless there's a preached word. They, I mean, if you say to someone, do you believe? You're, you're asking, you're, you, what's going on in your mind is this, do I believe in? We got to have a subject matter. We got to have a topic. Just to say you believe, man, that's just footloose, fancy free. Do you believe? Well, you know. So there's got to be a word. There's got to be a message that you either believe in or you reject. That's how faith or belief comes by hearing. Because upon hearing the message, upon hearing the report, you either believe in it or you reject it. What I'm saying is this. The word, the word demands a verdict. The word demands a verdict. You either believe in it or you don't believe it. The Bible says there in Romans 10, they have not all obeyed the gospel. What that implies is that they must have heard the gospel. But they not all obeyed the gospel. And so the question of Isaiah is blaring here in Romans as it was in John. Who believed our report? Well, they didn't believe the gospel. They didn't believe the report. In other words, they must have rejected it. There's really only two sides to the seesaw. You either believe it or you don't. You either believe it or you don't. So now all obeyed the gospel. Amen. They, they've heard it evidently, but they've not obeyed it. And so they have not believed the report. They've not believed the message. They've not believed the word that has been presented to them. They have rejected it. And so there must be a message either to accept or to decline, either to garner belief or to reject. There must be a message. And so it is incumbent upon us as a church, as a people, to share the message. Because the share 
bearing of the message will demand a verdict. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says in verse 37 of our text, it says, they believed not. Now, no, they believed not. Then you get to verse 39 of the same text, and it says they could not believe. They believed not, and then because those are two different animals, right? Believing not is as though you haven't a choice. You could not believe is as though you didn't have a choice. They believed not transmutes into they could not believe. And they could not believe, according to the word of Isaiah, because they were blinded and hard-hearted. Now, note, please note, that verse 41 in our text tells us that Isaiah said these things. That's what the scripture says. These things said Isaiah, speaking about the hard heart and the blind eyes. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory, speaking of the glory of the Lord. Whenever Isaiah seen the glory of the Lord in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number six, in the year that King Uzziah died, verse number one, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It's in that chapter, amen, that the seraphims are saying, holy, holy unto the Lord. It's in that chapter that Isaiah realizes that he is a man of unclean lips and dwells among unclean people. It's in that chapter that Isaiah is hearing the voice of the Lord. He's saying, who shall I send, the Lord says. And Isaiah raises his hand. He says, the Lord, send me. Why? Because now he's had the hot coal laid to his lips. His lips have been made clean. He's in good standing before God. Send me and I'll be a messenger unto your people, right? This is all Isaiah chapter number six. His train filled the temple. This is also what's recorded in Isaiah six. If anybody remembers some of the mirror image series we've been in not long ago on Sunday mornings, this will sound familiar. Isaiah six and nine. And he said, this is the Lord's word to him whenever he wanted Isaiah to go. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but proceed not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy. Shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and, con and convert and be healed. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. The message had been proclaimed. The message had been shared. And so that brings a verdict. You got to make a choice. Mm -hmm. They chose to reject the message. They chose to reject the message, and as a result of that, God says, I'll harden your heart. It's kind of the same scenario in the Old Testament scripture of Pharaoh and Moses and the children of Israel. The children of Israel are in bondage for all those years. Moses comes as a deliverer. He's to walk into the courts of Pharaoh and says, let God's people go. And a plague comes, right? And the Bible says that Pharaoh, and you look at it at different times in the book of Exodus, they're about, it's about match for match, actually, tit for tat. There's about 10 times in the book of Exodus you read that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And there's about 10 other times in the book of Exodus that you read that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know what God's saying? If you don't want me, then I'll blind your eyes spiritually. I'll deafen your ears. I'll harden your heart. If this is your choice, I'll give you to your choice. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. 
Jesus, do you understand that this is a last-ditch effort, really, in many regards? With Jesus here in the book of John, everything's going to happen with his passion, the week leading, amen, into his crucifix, and he's really pulling for people to make a choice. He's really pulling for people to come to a verdict. He says, but there's some already rejected me. And since they rejected me, he said, they have hard hearts and blind eyes. I've given them over to their choice. If that's what you want, you can have it. Someone say, amen. Amen. And so there's this hardening of the heart that's taking place in the people. Amen. This is how, this is how people believed not or rejected And then later it said they could not believe because he gave them over. He gave them over to their decision. Amen. In Romans 1, the Bible describes the people that gave themselves over to idols, the people that gave themselves over to idols, this is in Romans 1, or other forms of ungodliness that you can read in Romans chapter number 1. In essence, if you will, they rejected God because to go toward an idol is evidently not to accept God but to reject God right to do different forms of ungodliness is not to accept his message it's to reject his message and so they rejected God they, they even uh, Peter said at one time which always just gets me at the core of my, my, my stomach when it says that they de- even denied the Lord that bought them that's such a powerful phrase in Peter because the only thing that Christ ever bought in his earthly ministry was the church And it cost him his blood. And and I don't know of another individual that ever bought anybody with their blood. But Christ did. And it says they even denied the one who bought them. I don't think there can be a more profound rejection. Than denying the one who bought you with their blood. They believe not then. And this is what the Bible says then. As a result of this turning away, this rejection in Romans chapter number 1. You can look at the the various verses of scripture. In verse 24 it says, God also gave them up to uncleanness. In verse 26 it says, God gave them up unto vile affections. In verse 28 it says, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not which are not convenient. Or the word convenient means there to do those things which are not fit. He says, you reject me, I'll give you to vile affections. I'll give you to uncleanness. I'll give you to a reprobate mind. Which a reprobate mind is one that cannot at that anymore discern good from evil, right from wrong. It's falling into that category calling good evil and evil good. Right, wrong, and wrong, right. How's that happen? You're judged by your belief. Woo. You're judged by your belief. God gave them over. And I, I said this during our, our, our study on the mirror image. Pardon me, but it's in Job 8, and I think it's verse 4. God gave them over to their transgression. The King James says it. He gave them over to their wrongdoings. That's what happens. Amen. They have blind eyes and hard hearts because he's given them over. They're in a position now that they cannot believe because they chose not to believe. They've been made unto like what they serve. They have been judged by what they rejected. They have been, you hear me? They have been judged by what they rejected, what they reject truth. They've been judged by their belief. Now, 
Here's, here's a couple more verses of scripture that are examples of not believing, kind of like what we have in John, that, that they, they did not believe and then they could not believe, was it later? This is kind of examples of that, of not believing, mutating into could not believe. Nehemiah chapter number 9 and verse number 30, this is what the scripture says. Yet many years didst thou forbear them and testifiedest. Let me tell you, spell check really hates the King James Version Bible. Every time I do spell check at the end of doing something, most of the errors are found in this like testify this stuff, you know, <laughs> against them by the spirit. There's just side note by the spirit and the pro and thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear? That's rejection. They would not give ear. Therefore, as a result, because of this, therefore. Gavest thou them unto the hand of the people of the lands. I told you before, whenever they went to Babylonian captivity, God's like, you like their idols? I'll give you over to the people. You can have their idols seven days a week, even on weekends, you know. I'll give you over to those things that you are clamoring for. Amen. Psalms 81, verses 11 and verse number 2. Again, this is the mutation of cannot believe to could not. But my people... Would not hearken to my voice. Get that? Would not. That's a conscious choice. Would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of me. Verse 12. So I gave them up. Is that same phraseology of Romans 1? I gave them up unto their own heart's lust. And they walked in their own counsels. What's happening already? They're being judged by their belief. Well, what are you talking about? They're not believing. That's what I'm saying. Whether believing or not believing, they're being judged by their belief. The Bible says in verse 42 of our, of our John 12, uh, continuing on here, we're getting all the way through John 12 tonight, okay? Maybe that'll bring comfort to somebody. Amen. John 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, so we have all this background of people not believing. There's miracles before them. They're not believing. He says, nevertheless, among the chief rulers, as many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Woo! Woo! Hold on. So we have all these type of people that are not believing. There's even miracles performed. They're not believing. But it says, nevertheless, we do have some in the high hierarchy, a society, chief people. They're believing, but they're not confessing. Let's state it like this. They're secret disciples. They're disciples on Sunday and Wednesday. But it's a secret on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Saturday. Oh, someone hear me right now. Huh? Shh. These are people up in the hierarchy. They're, they're not confessing. Look how. They're not saying anything about why. For fear of being put out of the synagogue by the Pharisees. Now listen, Mr. Colin Cruz, he said this. He said expulsion from the synagogue was a terrible thing in a society where one's identity was tied up with one's place in the family and community. What that means is this. In the New Testament times, the synagogue, yes, it was a place for instruction. It was a place for worship. But it was also a place that just meant a synagogue was just anywhere where the people gathered. It was an assembly of people. In its most basic definition, a synagogue at times was referred to just merely as a Jewish institution. 
Let me break it even further down. A synagogue many times was just a social gathering. Like many churches are regarded today. Oh God. What I'm saying is, they share a psalm and they share a hymn, but in reality, it's just a place where people gather socially. They were afraid to say anything about their allegiance to the Lord because they didn't want to be exposed or, or put out from the social gathering. Because to be put out of the synagogue was to lose a part of your social standing. Huh? Because your identity is tied up to some of these things. Your family and community. It's tied up in some of these things. The Message Bible says it like this concerning these verses. It says, when push came to shove, they cared more for human approval than for God's glory. Let me state very clearly, that's a superficial life. The problem then of the chief rulers is that they played to the attention of men more than they did to the attention of God. They valued more what men had to say than what God had to say. And I say, that may be fine and dandy, but we got to keep in perspective that God has the final say in our lives. So why would we live our life from stone to cliff to level of what every man would say about us when they don't have the final say for my eternity. If you begin to reason it out, it just don't make sense. William Barclay said it like this. He said secret discipleship or secret disciples, secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms. He says, for either the secrecy, listen to me, for either the secrecy kills the discipleship or the discipleship will kill the secrecy. In other words, they can't really coexist. We might think we're walking the dog with it, but something's dying. Daniel... Daniel, in the book of Daniel, Daniel describes the corruption that the praise of men would play upon the kingdom of his time. And it was really prefiguring the kingdom of the time of the age of the church and the Antichrist and things of that manner, the Jews in the time. He, he's describing what's happening basically in between the testaments of the Old and the New Testament, a kingdom there. But he is also describing, because the man he talks about prefigures uh, the times and the man of the Antichrist. This is the verse. Many of you know the second half of this verse. We usually quote the second half, not so much the first half. But I'm going to talk about the whole, two halves of a whole. All right. The Bible says in Daniel 11 and verse 32, he says, and such as do wickedly against the covenant. Doing wickedly against the covenant is to believe not. And such as do wickedly against the covenant, shall he corrupt how? By flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do 
exploits. So the he here shall, shall he corrupt by flatteries. The he here mentioned for Daniel's day that's going to take place between the testaments of Odinu. You all may remember this back from the Daniel study. We've done, man, I tell you, if you'd ever looked, we've done a lot of studies on a lot of stuff. <clears throat> but the man he is speaking of as Antiochus Epiphanes. I don't know if you'll remember that. He's the one that went into the temple and he, he like sacrificed a pig on the holy altar and all this stuff and just totally defamed the temple. He's saying this man, this man, this Antiochus Epiphanes will corrupt the people that believe not with flatteries. What? The praise of men. The praise of men is going to further corrupt them that believe not on the seesaw of belief. All right, he's mentioned here. Many have labeled Antiochus Epiphanes the Antichrist of the Old Testament because he prefigures so perfectly of the Antichrist that is to come. Because the Antichrist that is to come is also pictured that he'll enter the temple. He'll make himself as God. He'll totally desecrate the temple just like this real Old Testament figure did in between the Old and New Testaments. So he prefigures the Antichrist very well. Nonetheless, those that believe not were corrupted by flatteries, the praise of men. But the people that do know their God, huh? I know him. It's not just a head knowledge of him, but I acknowledge. I believe the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits what's in this we are judged by our belief we are judged by our belief john chapter number 12 and verse 44 let's see what jesus uh, has else here to say and just as we're getting to these last verses this is jesus speaking uh, we don't really know if Jesus was speaking these in this moment at this time because in verse 36 of our chapter, the Bible says that after he spake, he departed and did hide himself from them. But we do believe that John is including these words at this moment because they provide for us a very good summary about what Jesus and the, in the Gospel of John has been talking about for the past 12 chapters. All right? So these are some of the last words spoken at large, amen, to the people. Jesus, during the time leading up to his crucifix, he'll continue talking to his disciples. He'll talk to the people at Pilate's court. But as far as having just this wide audience of all people and multitudes, that seemingly is gone now. That, that day, that ship has sailed. All right, that is over. And so these are some of the last public words, kind of like a summary. And Jesus, again, is doing what he's done all throughout the Gospel of John. He's constantly pulling back the curtain on his divinity. He's pulling back the curtain of being more than a man. He is God manifested in the flesh. And so we see these words over and over again. Let me read verse 44. And Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. All right, kind of goes with that whole idea. There's nothing that I do that the Father doesn't bid me to do. I can't do it unless he does it, all right? And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me, all right? That kind of goes with the good old John 10. You know, he that has seen me have seen the Father type thing. So he's just rehearsing all these things. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, look at this, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Look at verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. 
the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Now look, 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 look at here. So he's, he's done a real good summary of what John has talked about a lot here through this book. Amen. How Jesus was not just Jesus the man, but Jesus the God and man. How he was light that came in the world. Those are things that we hear all the way back at chapter number one and sprinkled throughout the chapter. But then he goes back and he touches this judge stuff. Because Jesus is making a real push here upon the people to make a decision. That's what we try to do at the close of every service. We presented the word, and now we are pushing for a verdict. Amen. He's pushing the people here really to make a decision. Do you believe or do you reject light or darkness? And there's, here's the interesting thing, even in the book of John here, and there's people at all different stages. Because if we look at the different stages that people are at, even in this last chapter, some have believed and have become the children of God. Some are like Judas and they've betrayed. Some are asking questions, but they're asking questions remaining in their darkness. We've had those, haven't we? My mind goes back to certain individual in the years of this church that used to repetitively on Sunday mornings, Bishop would have open questions, Sunday morning teaching, and was notably to always have questions, but remained in his darkness. Never repented, never got baptized, never received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And yet there's others that's interested they believe, all those chief priests though, but they're refusing to go public or fully committed, you might say. Jesus, what's he doing? I want a verdict. I want a verdict. Jesus came as the light, and if people believe in him, this is what the New American Standard says, they believe in him concerning that verse, verse number 46. If they believe in him, they may not remain in darkness. I like that because it's like when you make the choice for light, then it already makes the choice of not remaining. You can't remain. You know what that tells me? You can't have light and darkness. Hmm? Psalm says that he is light mm -hmm, and in him is no darkness at all. When he shows up, darkness disbands. Darkness flees. And so you can't even remain in darkness when you believe in him and accept him as light. So that maybe is perhaps why people reject him. Maybe that's the reason why some reject his words. Because they want to stay in darkness. John told us even earlier that people love darkness more than they love the light. Because the light is a revealer of all things. According to verse 35... It told us last week, and you'll remember this, I told you, the light's just here for a little while. That's what it said, the light is just here for a little while. Here in verse 41, it's telling us that Jesus is that light that came into the world. 
What's it conveying to us there for then is that Jesus in this moment was just going to be there with them for a little while longer. Calvary was quickly approaching. So what we have here in the closing of John 12, not only did the miracles not convince some, but verse 47 tells us that Jesus' words did not cause some of them to believe. How in the world? Because they didn't accept his words. They rejected his words. Or at least that is what the next verse says. Because it tells us then about them rejecting his words and how he wasn't judging them. Just watch here. <laughs> he wasn't judging them because he had come to save the world. He said earlier in John, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. That the world through me might be saved. He didn't come to condemn. But here is the truth of the matter. The moment you make a choice to reject the Lord, you've condemned yourself. The moment you make a choice to reject the Lord, for all of, and this, you all know, Brother James, he was ribbing me the other night. I think it was at the softball field. He used that little don't judge me speech thing on me because he knows I hate it and just brought it up. And I, I grimaced and gritted my teeth and caused my TMJ to get bad and, and such. And don't judge me. For, so for all of you don't judge me, people, listen, you judge yourself with your decision. Even Jesus says, I don't judge him. I come to save him. But based upon how they respond to my word, they judge themselves. So every person that wants to say, don't judge me, sorry, I won't. You've already judged yourself. Oh, Lord. That's what he says. The second time, yeah, we know that Christ is coming back and he's coming back as the judge, right? He's riding upon his horse. He's got his sword, which is the word. In the book of Revelation, he's got his sword, which is the word of God, it says. What? He's got his sword, which is the word of God, and he's coming back to judge? Yeah. That very thing we will be judged by is what we're being judged by right now. It's, I've said it before, it's an open book test. It's an open book test. That's the reason why if you reject it, you have judged yourself. It's not like there's different rules or regulations or different specifications at the judgment seat of Christ. No, it's the same thing that your pastor's been preaching for now almost 10 years and your bishop did and teaching. It's the same thing. The same thing that said on that day will sound very familiar because it'll be some of the very same things you heard. Oh God, someone tell me hallelujah. Come on, Lord. Everyone will be judged, the scripture said right here, by the word. More importantly, we will be judged by the words we heard. And I kind of side with Brother J.H. Osborne on this or had the opportunity to hear. Let me break that down. This is your church. You faithfully attend this church according to the word of the Lord. You should. But if you choose not just to come on a given service, the word that was spoke that night, you would have heard had you had been obedient to the word to be there when you could have been there, you're going to be held accountable for those things you even could have heard. We're going to be judged by the word, by the words that we hear. 
every sermon I've ever preached to you is going to come on the scales at judgment day. Everything you've heard about right and wrong, what's godly, unholy, unclean, it's going to come on the scales at judgment day. And they're going to stand up and either testify against you or those words are going to testify for you. And that's based upon how we respond, our belief now. I, don't, I can't get this through our head enough, folks. It's not as though the Trump's going to sound, we're going to be before the Lord and we're going to be our own defense attorney and try to make all these little exceptions, but God this, but God that, excuse me, God this and that, and try to work our way out of being guilty. We're judged by our belief. Jerusalem Bible states it like this. The word I have spoken will be their judge on the last day. We'll face every bit of scripture we've heard or read. Here's what's so so powerful to that about me. I sit in churches sometimes. Yeah, I do. I get preached too. Thank God for it. I sit in churches sometimes and the word preach Convicts me. Strikes my heart. I'm like, I got to make a change. Right? How many times do I go back as the dog to its vomit and the swine to its mud pile and wallow in again? On judgment day, I'm going to stand before the very word that convicted me here. And it's going to decide a verdict for me there. That's weighty. Everything that had been spoken to them came from God. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus implies and reiterates. He said, I didn't speak of myself. I spoke of what he wanted me to speak to you. And I know that his commandment is everlasting life. To refuse his word is to refuse then everlasting. Everlasting life. I hope. Try, Lord, help me. That everything we speak still yet today in our churches comes from God. That's the reason why I weary the people upstairs with 10 and 20 verses. I don't want to be up here giving you a little personal story about my life and we can get some practical stuff from that. No. The story of my life's not going to be there for your support or your failure on Judgment Day. The words of this book is what's going to be there. Oh, but if you'd share more personal stories, people could relate better and all this stuff. I'm so sick of hearing that type of garbage out there. As I heard one man say it this week, I was listening to a podcast. He said, we have a lot of pastors that are trying to fill buildings and not fill the pulpit. Holy God, holy God, holy God. You stand with me tonight. Everything that we speak today, yes, should still should still come from God. His His word. Every lesson, every sermon, Bible study, connect group paper. In reality, all of those things are dispensed judgment for the better or for the worse, based upon our choice, our reception. Brother McGee, you tell me right now, 
You tell me right now, if I, if I have a negative response to God, then I'm lost forever. No. Thank goodness you're in this window of time. But wherever you are leaning the moment that rapture takes place, well, there's my, there's my out. Is it? When's the rapture taking place? No man knows. The Bible just describes it as being imminent, which basically means this. It can happen at any moment. Just as much as right now as it can tomorrow. In the. So do you, do you really want to mess around then with what your verdict is in this moment? No, no, because I'll be judged by my belief. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Pastor, he really roughed that last Wednesday night. He's judging all of you. No, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just throwing out there, bringing it to the reality, you judging yourself. How you order your lives, by decisions you make, by choices. You're judging your life. And it could be the final judgment. It's all according whenever he comes. And bow our heads all over this place tonight. Father, Father, Father. Oh, God, hallelujah. These altars are open if anyone would desire to pray. What we've done tonight is we have shared the word, and now we're at a place for a verdict. We're at a place for a verdict. What's your choice? What's your choice? Light, darkness, what's your choice? Belief, unbelief, what's your choice? I'm going to engage it. I'm going to disengage in it. What's your choice? What's your choice? You're going to believe, but you're not going to profess it beyond this four walls? Is that what it is? What's your choice? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.